Yes, we are live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov, and we are coming at you today to talk about the esoteric connections between Elon Musk, whether he is a Satanist, and what exactly does that even mean. And uh, welcome all the people in the live Twitter space as well. Be sure to smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, and click that bell to uh, help this channel grow where we bring all kinds of different people together who would have otherwise never talked to each other. And today is no exception. Drew is back for the second time around this week. Drew Tang, the esoteric Drew Tang. Always a pleasure to have you on board, brother. And we have Gnostic Informant. Neil, who is one of the most prolific, smartest people I know when it comes, you know, I always have to add that when it comes to a lot of the mystery school traditions, uh, esoteric religion, all of these things that uh, people have kind of taken for granted all these years, not really uncovered, like what is the origin of all of these religions that we practice and what are some of the most, more esoteric elements of those. And we are going to see today exactly like Luciferianism, Satanism in relation to uh, the uh, rocketry, outer space in relation to Musk, what exactly is going on here and is it exactly as bad as some people want to portray it? Maybe it's not so bad. So anyway, we are going to get started with Drew and his American apocalypse, which I think uh, ties into all all this so drew go ahead brother uh, let us know what's going on and the whole elon musk connection to satanism thing oh i am not hearing you right now for some reason i don't know what's going on make sure that your audio is on and while i am doing that neil do you have anything to say before drew comes online because i was hearing his audio before I yeah know the yeah um well, well i guess what while he's fixing that um i'll just say like the uh I think the w w the way we view what Satanism or Luciferianism is, is uh, very much through the lens of Christianity and what they think of it as. And um, so this idea of what who is Lucifer develops over time as this opposing character to the Christian faith. So, for example, Lucifer literally... Oh, you got your mic on? Oh yeah. yeah, there you go. Did okay. turn on. Excellent, excellent. I always forgot about this little uh, red red button they got on the side here. I'll no, but go go forward, Neil. Quick. Yeah. And then um, so Lucifer used to be in the ancient mythology context, Roman mythology, the light bringer. Lucifer was not evil. Lucifer was not like a satanic character trying to do anything like uh you know evil to to, to anybody. And but then that word becomes synonymous with Satan later on. All right, Drew, you got it from here. So, yeah, what, what I would um, – I don't think I would frame really what I think about um, Elon Musk as like uh, – I don't think calling him a Satanist is the best way to frame exactly what I think about him um, for exactly the reasons um, that we were just talking about there. Um, what I would say – I mean, so – the way, well, I guess, I mean, in some ways, yes, that certain aspects of, of the uh, Satanism idea do apply. Um, but the, the way that we talk about it as far as like Lucifer just means light bringer. Oh, no, it's the Internet outside that's causing this. So, Neil, while Drew is doing his thing, fixing that, do your thing right now. Keep going about Luciferianism. Pick up yeah. where Drew left off. So I did a video about this recently. It's a 45-minute video where I just go through the evolution of Satan and Lucifer. 
the video is called how satan became lucifer because that's how that's what ha- it didn't, it's not the other way around lucifer didn't become satan satan becomes lucifer because we already had a lucifer and we already had a satan and they were completely separate characters one of them is from the old testament text called job uh he's in a couple other texts as well he's in genesis he's in some of the other books um he's in but in these in these texts he's just he's just some basically some district attorney type of character and what i mean by that is l is the judge he's ruling on the throne and he has all the 70 divine sons of god ruling under him and satan is basically one of those guys and he just basically his job is to accuse people that's what that word means satan accuser his job is to accuse people so he finds job the oldest text in the bible by the way is job not genesis a lot of people don't realize that but when we when we date these texts there's internal evidence that shows us when these texts were written is it hellenistic period is it persian period what is it job is very old job doesn't mention israel job is extremely ancient um but job job in this case and so with the first time you ever hear about satan is in this book called job and in this text he's friends with god he's like hey god you know your boy job down there he 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 ain't shit bro he, he ain't like he ain't what you think he is and god's like what do you mean he worships me every single day and satan's like bro Take his take his money away and watch what he does then. Bet. Bet, bro. So they do it. And they take they kill his whole family and they take his farm away. They take his money away. And Job still praises God. That's the point of the text is that, you know, Job's righteousness and, you know, sometimes evil can happen to you. God can be testing you. There's always there's a lot of a lot of different factors in what this text actually means. But long story short, in regards to Satan, Satan's not evil in this text. He's not doing anything. He's working with God. They're 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 working, they're working things out. In his creation. So the idea, and that, by the way, this this event supposedly happens after the fall of Adam and Eve as the serpent falls out of the garden. So the, the, the idea of the serpent being Satan, that wasn't a thing until late, the Christians the Christians do that in Revelation. So um, that's why I'm going to lay that out, some little context. But I will also, and, and this is the last thing I want to say so I can set up this, so we can have this conversation the right way. I will, I have no problem conceding that Lucifer, Lucifer, in the context of today, is something different than it was in Roman mythology. I'm not sitting here trying to say that we need to bring back the old context of Lucifer because things do change, and especially in mythology and theology, things change. And in, so Luciferianism and Satanism is something different than it was in, in the context of Roman mythology. People have every right to say Lucifer is the opposition to Christianity because that's what it's become. That's a reality. So I, I'm not like I'm not like trying to bring any, anybody to like redefine Lucifer or anything, but I do like to bring in so people understand the evolution of Lucifer and how he became who he became. That's all. Very interesting, Neil, as always. And uh, Drew, I think your internet should be back now. Uh, yeah, let us know about Elon Musk with the Egyptian crook and flail image that you posted recently. What exact connection are you trying to make as far as who do you think Elon Musk sees himself as? And also, don't forget to go back into the Twitter space, and I'm going to host you as well. But yeah, Drew, uh, let us uh, let us know what you think with Elon Musk. So yeah, um, the... I think that uh, bringing up the the Pharaoh thing is probably uh, a good way to go about how I think about Elon Musk as a, as opposed to like him just me defining him as like a Satanist. It's not something I would necessarily like state. Um, but what I do see him as is being um, fulfilling the role of 
again, another really loaded term is um, is Antichrist. But what I see the role of him playing is very pivotal in the in this next astrological age that we're going into. Um, in the same way that Jesus basically Jesus Christ defined the age of Pisces, I see Elon Musk and his what his legacy will be as being very defining in the pretty much in a mirror way, especially in the way that his public persona and personal mythology is building up. Um, I think he's going to play a very similar role. Um, and especially given the, um, you know, the age of Pisces, uh, the Pisces is the fish, the fish symbol. So that's what, you know, all the Christians use. Um, you'll have the fish symbol as they're on like their bumper stickers and whatnot. Um, so, you know, Jesus, he, he has his, uh, his apostles were fishermen and then he told them to become fisher of men. Um, but um, in the same in the same way, a same connection, uh, or at least very similar, would be um, Elon Musk or, or the age of Aquarius. Aquarius is um, it's known as the water bearer, but it's also referred to as the knowledge bearer. So, um, so you know, yeah. You know who WB Yates is? Uh, I'm not familiar. No, he was a Rosicrucian English writer. Or maybe Irish Irish writer, not English writer. He did a lot of Irish folk text, and he wrote a lot of. He was a really interesting, fascinating writer. And people who study English literature, he's like he's mandatory in any university. He's like one of the great writers of his time. He had he was a very spiritual guy, and one of the fascinating things that I remember being taught about him was that he thought there was two. He thought there was three messiahs. The first one was Helen of Troy from the fall of Troy, that she was the Messiah because she brings Hellenism her, in her name, Hel literally Hellenism, Helen of Troy. And then he said the second Messiah being Jesus, obviously, you know, he had his reasons for that. We, I don't think we need to go into why that is. But he said there's a third Messiah coming after the year 2000, unnamed. And I just thought, and when you said that just now with Elon Musk, I mean, I obviously don't think that about Elon Musk. I think he's going downhill very fast with a lot of this Twitter shit. But I could be wrong. Like, and but I, I'm I'm just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Maybe what do you think about uh, WB Yates on on that? Um, again, I'm not familiar with him. But if he's a Rosicrucian, that's exactly the Rosicrucians are the exact same group essentially. Um, that Elon Musk. If you look at the if you look at the symbol um, for Scientology, the cross they use, which basically is the eight pointed star of Inanna or whatever. That we were yeah. talking about earlier with Venus. That's Venus, yeah. Um, so that is that is the Rose Cross. That is the exact same thing. The reason they they put it, the overlay of so Rosicrucian means you know Rose Cross, Knights of the Rose Cross. Um, so they're referring to the same thing. They're referring to the same symbol, and what they were talking about was reintegrating the feminist, or rather the like divine feminine, into the Trinity which was taken wow. out um, during the Piscean age when they, when Roman Catholicism was taking, basically was consolidating. It effectively consolidated um, a large swath of the religions within the Roman empire. So you had the Judaism base, and then you bring in a lot of the holidays of the different pagan religions of the lands in the Roman empire. And then, 
you know, you have some Sol Invictus mixed in there, which is all Astro theology based. But, um, but yeah, I would say the Rosicrucians are exactly what we're doing. Um, and Shakespeare, aka Francis Bacon, which of course you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a whole. I love, debate. I, I love that conspiracy theory, and there's something to that, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they created the whole English language in a very mm-hmm. similar way, um, consolidating a lot the of same, base languages. Same. That was the same decade as the King James Bible being produced. Yeah, how about that, huh? 1610s was a crazy time, man. That was a, a lot of revolutions happening. Well, you're saying the same date. Could you go as far as to say the same author? As far as Francis Bacon or William Shakespeare I would. I would, yeah. writing the Bible. Okay, Drew, Drew it, was on that. Neil. Yeah, the, the King James uh, Bible and Shakespeare's works, like the written copies, they um, there's you, all the same sim- symbolism just scattered throughout the margins but have you ever heard that this is okay so someone showed me this back when i was a king james only christian and they said that there's a psalm i forgot which psalm it is um shakespeare i'm looking it up shakespeare's psalm okay psalm 46 opposed supposedly in the king james bible and i checked it and this is true this is actually true if you go to psalm 46 46 words from the top is the word shake. 46 words from the bottom is the word spear. And then here's the part that I, I don't know if I can verify this or not. Supposedly Shakespeare was 46 years old in 1611 when the Bible came out. So it's like, that's crazy. I love those type of conspiracy shit, man. I'll, I'll eat it up. It's fun to me. Well, yeah, the, the guy who they say was Shakespeare was illiterate and he didn't teach his kids to read or write either. So, um, it's highly unlikely it was him in the same way. I mean, you know, Shakespeare, he said all the world a stage. And that's exactly what they understood was was what Plato talked about, is that the stories that you tell a society controls it. So what you tell the, the stories and the myths that you tell the children, that's what they grow up looking for, those archetypes. And then if you have your leaders embody those same archetypes, then they will they will follow them in the way of, in the way that kings, um, you know, they claim divine right to rule. In the same way that the pharaohs said that, you know, the early, the old kingdom pharaohs said they were sons of Ra, and then the new kingdom pharaohs said they were Horus on earth, Osiris and death, yeah, etc. So that's the exact same thing. Shakespeare, his works before there was, you know, English dictionaries. It was Shakespeare's works were referred to to try and figure out what proper spelling and context and grammar were. They would refer to as Shakespeare's works instead of because there was no dictionary of thesaurus. So they literally that Francis Bacon, not only did him. And and again, when I say Francis Bacon, it's um, it's also a cutout because it's not just Francis Bacon. There's the whole Rosicrucian society behind him that are translating these texts. They're taking these ancient myths and translating them into English so they could build a core culture in order to build an empire off of. Yeah, King, um, King James's other book that he published was a demonology book. Mm. And, and all, then there was, the also a, there was also John Dee before that with Queen Elizabeth. So uh, these things, uh, these things I think have been around for a very long time. But what I just don't know is 
how can we be that sure that what's going on with Musk, for example, is also following in that path? We can be, let's say, much more sure of things like Jack Parsons, who was a disciple of Aleister Crowley, and he was responsible for uh, the advance in rocketry during World War II. He was also working together with the uh, Nazi Werner von Braun on uh, the uh, United States space program. So here we do have somebody who was heavily, heavily involved in the occult, who did uh, an incredible contribution to the world. But as far as Elon Musk goes, I know, like, Drew, what are some of the things that we have where we can establish this a little bit more uh, solidly? So, yeah, what I was referring to earlier, you know, um, you know, the, as far as the Tories, you tell your civilization, you know, define it. Um, so you I mean, this goes with the idea of predictive programming. So all these stories um, that you focus on in your civilization are going to become very important. So what you write, um, you know, affects the mass consciousness. So if you want to look for a direct connection, I, I know um, I feel like Lev's uh, setting me up here because he knows he knows the connection I want to draw. But um, so like uh, Lev was talking about, you have uh, two critical figures that are both referred to as the father of rocketry and the father of NASA in the United States. So you have um, so you have the more well-known one, Werner von Braun, ex um ex-Nazi SS. Well, ex-Nazi is seamless saying like ex-Playboy Playmate. There's no such thing as an ex-Playmate, but go on. Exactly. So um, so he came to the United States um, in Operation Paperclip. Um, they surrendered to the West when the Russians were, when they knew the Russians were about to show up at their doorstep. So he came over and started working the U.S. rocketry program. He had already been a longtime friend of Jack Parsons, who, for those of you who don't know, um, Marvel Jack Parsons, his first name, which which we're going to get into later. The Marvel series is essentially the predictive programming that that I'm pointing to as the most defining of the um, post-Christian American empire. So post-World War II, um, New World Order. Um, but anyways, uh, Marvel Jack Parsons, he, um, he was good friends with Werner von Braun. Two years after Werner von Braun comes to the United States, he writes a book um, while he's in the U.S. called The Mars Project. It's about a human colony on Mars. And in that book, he gives the title to the leader of the human Mars colony. Um, he calls the leader. It's not the leader's name. It's the leader's title. So a.k.a. the leader's role, just like an actor would play the role in a Shakespearean play. That's not his name. That's just the role he's playing. But. Anyways, they referred to him as Elon, the leader of the human Mars colony. And he wrote that in 19, I believe, 48. And then it was in the, it was translated into English by 1953. Um, but yes, he was very in close contact with Jack Parsons. Um, Jack Parsons, two years previous to that, in 1946, did a ritual with Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard called the Babylon Working in the Mojave Desert in California. Um, in which they did a little sex magic ritual based off of the works of Aleister Crowley, which Aleister Crowley himself is basically a spiritual descendant of the works of Francis Bacon and John Dee, English magicians who basically defined the English language. Again, they're building up, you know, a cultural base. Circle. It's all coming full circle. Yeah, exactly. So he's, this is basically the, Francis Bacon, he was the father of colonialism, essentially. He wrote a book called New Atlantis, and Thomas Jefferson cited him as being a major inspiration in 
the Constitution and, and his whole view of, of what America was supposed to be. So anyways, Parsons and Parsons and, and Von Braun, um, you know, they're fulfilling that. And anyways, Von Braun gives the title Elon to the leader of the Mars colony. The most interesting part is that chapter is called how the Mars, how the Mars is governed or how Mars is governed. And it basically describes what's called a technocracy, which is a rule by experts, not by democracy. And um, Elon has tweeted multiple times, I want to create a Martian technocracy. So he is ex doing exactly, um, you know, he's, he's doing exactly what, uh, what the book says he's going to do. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Gnostic, uh, what do you think, Neil? Is this uh, something that you think is enough evidence to uh, say that it's substantial or is something missing for you? Like, if we have enough things together, it does start to paint a very interesting picture. But uh, what say you? Neil, I am not hearing you right now, brother. So you got to... Are you asking me? I thought yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm asking you. I, I what had do you to think? step out for one second. Can you ask me one more time? Sure. Well, what do you think uh, is the... How much do you think this all makes sense to you to yourself personally? Is this enough evidence that Drew has brought forth well, as far oh, as I, the all these connections? I will... I think it's... So it's very... This is very complicating. Like, it's not... This is like... It, it, it comes down to like how we define these things and how we like, is it, they, are they literally Luciferians or are they, is it an artistic expression? Is it an opposition to the church? I think there's a little bit of everything at play. And I do think you're onto something. I just put out a video recently and um, it's about the founding fathers. And I, cause for some reason people still think the founding fathers were all a bunch of Christians when they were, like, like Thomas Paine, I'm holding in my hand right now. Just happened to be looking through right now. Bringing Thomas the pain. Thomas yeah. Paine. In Age of Reason, yeah. The greatest. Built the Georgia Guidestones were seeking a new Age of Reason, yeah. And these were the biggest critics of Christianity ever since the time of Celsus in the second century when paganism was still ruling. There's never been, a, and they cite Celsus. Um, but this is what. I, my, and I was doing some research on the founding fathers and I found that they were extremely critical of Christianity. They also were very loving of the old Athenian democracy, Roman Republican ways. That, so they were trying to balance those two out. How can we balance out the Republican of the Romes and the de de Democrats of Athens and make a constitution based off like Solon, the lawgiver and Demosthenes and Athens. And this is what, this is what blew my mind is that the star, star spangled banner, was originally a different song. The lyrics had got changed in 1810 by uh, Freedoms. What's his Scott? Uh, what's his name? Francis Scott Key. Francis Scott Key. That was an older song by the Anacreotic Society. The Anacreotic Society was a group of Luciferian founding fathers in England, France, and in America. They had the secret society of they were they were basically Bacchic revelers. They they had this idea of of mixing the, the twine or the, the myrtle of Venus and the vine of Bacchus. And this was like this Luciferian God that they put up as their, as their, uh, some, as their, what they're following basically. This is their light enlightenment, right? Light giver. And so the lyrics of this song, the, the, which became the star spangled banner are it's odes to Bacchus and Venus. Who's Lucifer. 
And people don't even know that. They're, they're, all these Christian right-wing people go into their football games with their hand on their chest, singing the Star Spangled Banner. They have no idea that that song used to be an, a Luciferian ode to Bacchus. How many people know that? Drew, did you know that? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know that per, uh, specifically. I, uh, that's a great. Uh, that is a great fun fact that really ties everything together because that's, you know, that subconscious getting people to subconsciously support something, even when they think it's the complete opposite. You still right. avoid the karmic consequences and you still get their consent. Um, what I was going to add to that is is you're 100 percent right about, um, you know, the founding fathers and what I wanted to. Um, what a lot of my book is about and, and to go back to my earlier point about the similarities between what I see the role Musk playing and, and Jesus Christ of the Roman era was, um, you know, America is the new Rome. The, if you look at our capital, we have the Washington monument obelisk right in front of our Capitol building dome, just like in the Vatican. And that, um, and that goddess Libertas that's on top of the Capitol is exactly what Dia Roma looks like, the goddess. Some call her Minerva. She's Athena to the Athenians. But that's the same look, the same exact head, uh, helmet and shield and sword. It's it's Athena. It's the same thing. Yeah, the bringing back that that mother goddess, divine feminine, is is basically, that's what the, the Babylon working ritual that, um, that, uh, that Hubbard and... Um, Parsons did um, well yeah yeah, based off of Crowley's work uh the moon child it was to summon um Babylon first the horror of Babylon rather um to birth the moon child so it's you you by bringing back the knowledge of the of the divine feminine aspect that's missing from the like theology and, and trinity um that creates the new age of Horus the moon child um which I see as being musk given that uh you know Parsons and Homeboy were friends, um, Von Braun, and then he wrote the book two years after they, they did the ritual in the desert, which they definitely told him about. And the Nazi SS, of course, they they built a whole castle to do rituals in. Um, they had a whole ritual chamber, um, which you can still go see today. Um, but yeah, um, Washington, D.C., the Rome, or um, the land that Washington, D.C. was built on used to be called Rome. It was originally, the land was called Rome. Hmm. That's fascinating. So, not, Neil, does the Moonchild ritual check out as far as all the research that you've done? And does it make sense to you personally that somebody like Musk would be this uh, inheritor, so to speak? Um, so, yes, it does. But the reason why it's a yes is not necessarily because these people... And this is my opinion. You can push back as much as you want. But it's not necessarily that they believe in the Christian God and, but want to oppose it and worship the Satan God. And then like purposely, like they, what they they actually don't believe in this religion. And I think it's more of an expression of opposition. So I think what you're getting is um, these rituals, these, these rituals that we would call satanic, which is a perfect way to describe it. You know, you got the pentagram and you got the, the you slaughter, the goat and you sprinkle the altar or the blood on the altar four times. That's all. That's not, not only is that in pagan, ancient Roman, Etruscan, or ancient Greek pagan rites, it's also in, it's, I mean, you can find that in Deuteronomy when it talks about the, the sin offering, the slaughter of the goat, and all that. That's the Bronze Age magic rituals that became satanic because Christianity came along 
And Christianity came during a time where Stoicism, Middle Platonism, Epicureanism was on the rise. So people were, were moving away from superstition and going into more rational ways of, of uh, practicing religion. And so those ancient ways are considered satanic, but really those are just, that's just the old rituals of what we would call pagans. They don't call themselves pagans. They're just the devotees of Bacchus or devotees of whatever God that they're uh, happening to give an offering to. So, uh, you know, polytheistic rituals that are being done by people like in this modern times in the enlightenment era, the people that you mentioned, what I think is happening is they're, they're, um, they're harnessing the power of religion because these these rituals do give there is some power there is some there's energy that like doing this stuff does something to people there's something happening there's, they call you can call it bacchic revelry you can call it the holy spirit whatever you want to call it but there's something happening people do feel something from this and i think these people after the age of reason after the enlightenment after this new world i guess you can call it a new world order because it is kind of a new world order in the sense of this common laws back li liber uh, libertarian liberal ideals are now becoming normalized so it is a new world order in that sense but what they're doing is i think that they're they're expressing their spirituality in opposition to the old ways of christian faith yeah yeah no i agree um and and to your point um you know, they don't see it as like a direct opposition. Um, like you said, they're just interpreting um, they're interpreting Christianity in its in its roots in a way and its astro theology roots and and its pagan influences. They they know where it came from. So they're they're interpreting it in their in the original context in some ways. What I wanted to say specifically about that was um why I think it's appropriate to refer to Musk as um, the Antichrist, etc. Not that I'm exactly saying he is, but um, using those type of Book of Revelation terms like beast and uh, Antichrist is because Crowley, um, Alistair Crowley, literally called himself the beast. He changed his name to Alistair Crowley so that in Geometria, I believe in both Hebrew and English Geometria, it equals 666. Um and uh, Parsons himself called himself the Antichrist um, over and over again. What, uh, what, you want to know something else real quick? Just uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but this is so this is so crazy. The the liberals in France under Napoleon ma made a banner. And on the banner, you have Nero and Caligula stomping out a pope. Nero is the B666. So that's a satanic symbol right off the bat. So I just want to let you know that the, this this symbolism is powerful in this time period there this and th i just wanted to play and it repeats it's it's secular yeah mm -hmm. and so crowley crowley's doing this space crowley's looking at that and doing the same type of stuff a quick question for both of you guys by the way would the repetition of that symbol 666 mean that for all the people like a lot of the atheists who talk about well book of Re well actually book of revelation only talks about you know what happened during the roman empire with uh, nero and so forth would that be the answer to them to say like yes they based it uh, off of that but it also can continue onwards and upwards would that be a fair statement yeah yeah 100 percent. it's it's all the reason you can predict things the reason astrology works um is because 
there is a cycle. Time is the way humanity has always recorded time. The only way we've recorded time is by tracking the movements of the celestial bodies. So uh, astrology and the whole concept of being able to predict things in the future is because there's a cycle. And that's the only reason you can predict things. And the people writing Revelation and the reason why out of all the books, you know, it was the last book written that was included um, in the Council of Nicaea uh, wasn't an accident. Um, and yeah. the, the people that have been in power for these last 2000 years guiding us through the age of Pisces, they know very well that and literally in book of Revelation, it specifically says if you change any of the words of this book, you'll be cursed. So they're they're very, very specific about the words they used and um, very intentional about the words that are written there. On uh, Eratosthenes, in a writer from the ancient Greece, he um, he put together an astrology book, and the point of the book is it's like a scientific treatise, basically, where there's certain things that happen in the sky during certain times of the year. And those occurrences are followed by some sort of wet. Like I'll give you an example. He talks about the rising of the dog star. When you see the rising of the dog star happening at a certain time, then there's probably going to be floods and raining. Springtime is on the, on the rise. The Egyptians knew this for thousands of years. And so there was ways, there was also ways to predict lunar eclipses. And then he would say, he would say, like, there's certain things you look at and you could predict lunar eclipse is going to happen. And once you have this laid out, you can use that to your advantage. You can go to the people and say, you know, if the lunar eclipse happens, that means that we must do this or X or the God tells us to do this. So it becomes a political weapon, astrology, in, in that sense. So, yeah, and you can predict things. There are cycles that happen on a yearly revolutionary cycle, on a monthly cycle as well. So they use that as a, as a weapon. But to be clear, though, when you're saying using it as a weapon, it's almost like saying that the only application of astrology is to trick people with things that can be scientifically understood. But what if we're talking about things that, well, you could also say they may be scientifically understood, but we're not there yet. Things having to do with people's psychology, things having to do with certain people coming up in the world and changing the world into a certain direction. What would you say about that, Neil? So there was they they had they actually found what's called the Antikythera mechanism. It's the oldest analog computer ever found. Dates to third century, second century BCE. Found it in the middle of the in the in the sea in the Aegean Sea off one of the islands in Greece. And this device, they when they recreated it, they realized that it can, if if used properly, can predict celestial events, planetary movements lunar solar eclipses stuff like that so this was a device people were using this is technology and science so, technology and science astrology alchemy this is all one thing back then there wasn't they didn't separate these things out yet so this was all kind of just the same thing so yeah people did use it as a weapon there also were people that used it in their rituals and religion as well so you have it. I guess it goes both ways. I wouldn't say that answers my question, and I want to make sure I go to Drew as well. Okay. But to be specific about what I'm saying is whether you believe, based on your research, that 
there is a potential for something like astrology not only to predict, you know, the uh, movements of the planets and when there's going to be an eclipse in order to trick people with that, but something that can predict how the people themselves are going to act at a certain point and whether we're going to see certain changes in the world as far so, as certain wars, certain events coming about. So yeah. that's the kind of stuff I'm talking well, about. No, as far yeah. as that goes, that's that. if you look at all the ancient sources, going back to Cicero, going back to Lucretius or Epicure, the Epicureans, Democritus, even Plato oh. himself, this is one of the most criticized things of all time this is one of the people will is even 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 your even your devout followers were writing stuff like yeah these things aren't necessarily as accurate as the priests want to make it out to be so you know it's very vague P the way people act during certain stars th this is what I'm not, I'm not okay maybe i'm wrong I'm, I'm a skeptic i'm a rationalist i'm a um i'm a humanist as well but it's to me. It seems as though those things have been always very vague, and they're not really they're they're not proven to be exactly um, predictable of people's behaviors. Whereas you can predict events in the sky literally because we can map out the stars. So that so those are two different things. If that makes sense. All right. Let's see, Drew. Do you disagree? Um. No, I, I don't think I. Well, yeah, I guess I disagree. Um. Um, I think things are a bit more predictable. Um, like there is definitely a connection. Um, I would point to you know the hermetic principle of uh, as above, so below. The like I said, like all of our our whole history is stored in the sky. Like the whole everything we everything we know is history. The only reason we even like have something to point to that shows that time passed was is the movement of the celestial objects in the sky. But um, I mean, whether or not, uh, you know, like direct, um, you know, if you can directly predict things, um, I think you can direct, um, you can predict certain themes, um, uh, certain themes and, and very, you know, not specific things at, at least, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you can, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit, uh, it, it gets as much power from the fact that, of the believers in it then it gets from you know sure. its own right and if i if i was to say if, if i was to steal man for a second the one thing that i've heard the argument that i've heard that made the most sense is the argument that you know the moon has power to like control tides and stuff and our bodies are made up of mostly water so like logically following that is can the moon affect our body structure our chemistry maybe that's true yeah it rules the whole feminine cycle and yeah I w and so i'm obviously i would i would say hey that's in that's an interesting point and like i wouldn't really i don't, I don't know what to say to oppose that i think that's maybe I don't, i'm not sure what the science is at but like it's interesting to hear that it's but you're you're trying to grab onto something physical, and I can understand why, because yeah. otherwise we're just kind of in the air and making assumptions. But I don't know, Drew, is there any way that we could possibly say that a lot of these things that we can't really attach so much to a physical phenomenon may also make sense? Because it seems like a lot of the practices of these mystery schools had to definitely do with uh, this understanding that there is more to life than just whatever it is physically presented. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, 
I would I would I would pick this topic to debate. I don't feel like I necessarily have like anything super hardcore. It's one of those things you either I mean, you just the important part is accepting that whether or not you believe in astrology, the ruling class does mm-hmm. and always has and has based every single thing they've ever done around it. So yeah. they seem to think it's interesting. I don't really fucking care, but well, um, to, to your point, <laughs> let me let me add to that because this, this the process of of having a priest come in, you know, and kill an animal, check its entrails, look at its insides, and then say, "Oh, we shouldn't invade this town because the entrails are no good." Or a different an auger would say, "Those birds that just flew above our heads, those are crows. That's a bad omen. We can't, we can't, we can't move forward. We have to stay here." And so, for thousands of years, people d- operated this way. Cyrus. Alexander, Darius, name it. You name it. Yeah, they well, weren't dummies. And these aren't you know, these are very educated. These are elite people, and they were they for whatever reason, this was the way things were done, and they did it, it stayed that way for a very long time. And, 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 and same thing in China, by the way. I got to add the I Ching. That's another system in China that were used in the exact same way that you're talking about. Yeah, I was just gonna say you don't continue to do things that aren't working. You do that if, if something's working, you continue to do it. So the fact that it was do they were doing this for so long, thousands of years, it's like what, what was it work? Like what was going? Like you know, it makes you wonder why. You know, so. But as far as their goals go, now I think it's a good time to get to that. So we're talking about the moon child, Elon Musk, Antichrist. The Christian perspective is that this is all bad juju and this is going to end badly for them when Jesus is going to come back. But then if we're talking about the cycles again, we had ancient Rome and we had Nero. And from what I understand, Jesus did not necessarily come back then with the golden cube and a thousand years of peace and prosperity followed. So the question is, how much can people lean on a certain event like they were talking about with Jesus and the Golden Cube coming back. And after Drew, I'd be very interested in uh, Neil's perspective on that too, where exactly that whole Golden Cube, New Jerusalem, where all that uh, came from. So Drew, yeah, let me know what you think. Um, so yeah, as far as their goals, this is this is what I wanted to get into next. Um, um, the goals of the, you know, what we would refer to as the New World Order, um, you know, that being defined by a global governance, um, you know, uh, lack of democracy, a totalitarian, top-down, authoritarian state. Um, all those things, um, and depopulation, of course, all those things you could you could have found written out in the Georgia Guidestones up until earlier last year. Um, someone blew it up? Yeah. yeah, someone blew it up. I went there three months and three days before it blew up. Um, so I got to see it one last time, but that was my second time there. But um, to go back to your point about the about people claiming to be, you know, hiding under the guise of Christianity, which I think Freemasonry does um, quite a bit. And of course, Rosicrucianism, you know, they use the Rose Cross. So you're like, oh, yeah, OK, it's whatever. They're Christian. The uh, the Guidestones did the exact same thing where. Um, you know, the, the anonymous group that put it up, the only name they left was a pseudonym, R.T. Christian. And they said, oh, it's just because we picked it because it's a group of Christians. That did it. I mean, realistically, it's because of Rosicrucian. 
they're just fulfilling the same Rosicrucian goals of Francis oh, wow. Bacon. Of, I never thought of it. Start, start. There has been some more work done. Um, people went up and, and dug some documents up that were supposed to be secret. They basically tricked the old man. Um, I think, uh, what's his name? Watt, Wyatt, Wyatt something. The old man who was the only guy who ever met the guy who came to actually give him the money. Um, and they were eugenicists that um, were actually tied with Werner von Braun. They were they were friends with Werner von Braun. Um, wow. But, um, well, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, not Werner von Braun, David Duke. Um, so, oh, so, you could, so you could get a sense. Wait, what was that Wyatt, a Wyatt man by any chance? Uh, you could I'm look just, it up. I'm just, just fucking just around up. with you. I'm just fucking around okay. with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, he, that that was the guy who did that whole happy merchant uh, uh, comic. That was the origin of that meme. But anyway, yeah. Oh, it's it's Wyatt Martin was the guy's Wyatt name from yeah. from Elberton, Georgia. Um, but uh, just just to finish up this thought, you could so the Georgia Guidestones had all the all of the ideas. They had population control, which this is all Platonian. This is all Platonic. Um, this is all stuff Plato talked about eugenics. Um, yep. And um, and what stories you tell the people, et cetera, et cetera. And, and actually, the idea of a central pillar with all of your um, your society's goals written on it or laws is actually based off of Plato's description of Atlantis, where they had oracalcum pillars in the middle that had all their um, and all their ideas or all their highest laws written on it. And the Georgia Guidestones were located less than a, um, I believe it's like an hour and a half outside of Atlanta, something around a hundred miles away. Um, and Atlanta itself, they have the, the Phoenix as their, as their, uh, you know, city's icon because of Sherman's March where they burned the entire city down. Um, which I believe was was probably ritualistic as well. And then they used it as the headquarters it used to be called Terminus because all the railroads went there from north, south, and then connected to the west. So that's why Coke, AT&T, the CDC, that's why all these things are um, were started out of there. And it, it kind of was the, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say it's the capital anymore, but they were, uh, it was, you know, and to some effect it is still today a major New World Order headquarters. Um, but yeah, I think that's too, by the way, Atlanta, because it's not called like, uh, the various names of the provinces of, uh, the, uh, England or France, you know, like Atlanta, the only connection would be the Atlantic ocean and Atlantis, right? That's it. Like there's no other, there's no other country where they said like new England or New York or right. That, that does make it very special in a way. A new Atlantis, just like Francis Bacon um, just like Francis Bacon talked about. So again, they're, you know, they're fulfilling the, um, they're fulfilling the RC Christian, the Rosicrucian, um, goals. And, uh, Oh, I also wanted to bring up cause you brought up Thomas Paine. Yeah. Um, they, the only other piece of media that these people ever released, um, the creators of the Georgia Guidestones is they gave out a pamphlet to each, they, uh, mailed a pamphlet to each member of Congress called, um, I believe it was uh, a new age of reason. Um, hold on one hmm, sec. Interesting. But but anyways, in there um, they talk about um, they talk about uh, their goals and um, very much in the same vein as as Thomas Paine, where he's not definitely not a Christian. Talks about the you know problems with the religion, um, etc. So 
I believe they they shipped that out to Congress like three years um, three years afterwards. Yeah. Now yeah. I, I want to. So I think there should be a distinct distinct. We should um, distinguish between the Plato's, the people who are looking back at Plato, and the people who are looking back at the Epicureans, because I think there needs to be that those two uh, worldviews are so opposing each other. One of them gives us rationalism and the idea that there's no forms, there's no heaven and hell, and that everything is atoms and void. The other one is everything has forms, and you know there's you know you have the myth of Ur and all that stuff. And I think Christianity comes out of Middle Platonism. So the whole world that the founding fathers are opposing is sort of Plato's worldview. Plato's worldview is materialized through the Christian empire, the Byzantines and the Romans, and the Holy Roman Empire, I think, in my opinion. And I think the, what happens in the 18th and 19th century is you have people looking back to the time before Plato, where, they, where you had, because Plato hated democracy, talks shit about democracy in his book, The Republic. He says it's basically for like, it's good for the poor and it's, it's good for like big cities. But like, the, he talks about democracy the way like a conservative talks about liberalism. In the, in the Republic. And I think Plato is like, and Nietzsche even talks about this. Nietzsche's like, yeah, Christianity is basically just Platonism for the masses, for the people. I think they're all spot on about this. And I think, so my, I guess what I'm getting at is the idea of a new world order. Is it liberalism or is it Plato's vision of Atlantis? Because I think those are two different things. I don't know if we can necessarily combine those two. I think they oppose each other. So I wanted yeah, I wanted to just bring this up real quickly because because um, yeah Plato you know a lot of his works again were utopian both talking about Atlantis as a type of previous utopia and then debating you know what's the best way to run a civilization in um, in the Republic um, and his idea of a philosopher king um, that's exactly the role that uh, a, a philosopher king ruling over a, a technocracy is yeah. exactly yeah, like what is being set up it's what was talked about in in Werner von Braun's the Mars project it's what Elon Musk talks about constantly it's what he l literally embodies oh the connection which I didn't bring up earlier which is important is that um his father or his grandfather rather um was arrested in Canada eight years before the Mars project was written for running the technocracy party of Canada and the government arrested him during World War II because they saw the technocracy party as a threat to the stability of the government. Um, and of course, the, the technocracy party was international, it started in New York, I believe, and they had a, they had a division in Germany as well, which I'm 100% sure that von Braun was at least aware of, if not um, a fan of. But, but yeah, Philosopher King ruling over technocracy. That's exactly what Musk is setting up right now. That's what that's what he's But what do you think of uh, Neil's reaction to this being close to the idea of a pope, a techno-pope, if you will? Because uh, as far as I understand, Neil, you see what's being done right now as possibly why not a return to a kind of very authoritarian-minded uh, yeah. Christianity. Well, Tom, and Thomas Jefferson says... I am an Epicurean. I consider the genuine doctrines of Epicurus as a, everything rational and moral philosophy would squeak in Rome and leave us. These and Thomas Paine is obviously follow is obviously in the same mind as him, like in as far as looking back at history 
and aligning themselves with people in history for the future. And I think they oppose the Plato's utopia. I don't think they are necessarily drawing from Plato's utopia. Um, so I don't know what Drew, what your thought. What I guess my question for Drew is like, is this new world order? Is it about liberalism and um, coming getting away from the church, or is it actually start saying? Well, the church, they had some good ideas, but we want to take those ideas and do our own version of this and start a technocracy version of the church. Is that where you, I'm trying to understand? That's all. Uh, yeah, I think the I think the a new version of the church is accurate. Um, okay. And the specifically, you can see how this is playing out right now. Um, the beginning of this of the real hardcore um version of a of a new one new world religion um is being implemented under um the three jesuits that we just had in control of everything during the pandemic um you have um pope francis the first ever jesuit pope which of course you know they literally were like oh yeah we're, we, we're not going to seek the papacy we're not going to seek the papacy and you know they have a, a long history of you know i mean they're a they're a secret society basically inside the catholic church they're cultists man i, yeah. I agree they're cultists so so what people don't don't realize is, is the dude dresses like a wizard man he looks like a wizard like look at him <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're very much the um you know they they have been running i think i think to this day still the biggest religion catholicism i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure probably the richest it's, but, it's, it's arguably the richest so. Yeah, they got they got a great network still, and and they're still got their Roman Roman capital and everything. And they know and how to it, stay It's alive. very it's very important too because everything you were talking about earlier about Nero, how in Geometria Nero equals six six six. You know, Nero was the one who crucified um, Peter upside down in Nero Circus, which then eventually became Vatican or um, became the Vatican. Is, and right. and literally that same obelisk was right there the entire time. It watched Saint Peter get. Crucified upside down, the first post, and that then... obelisk was brought by Augustus. Yeah, during when Rome is pagan, still it's still there. Like people, don't, <laughs> people don't realize that there was a transition. The the the, the Vatican they just put a, a cross they, on top. Yeah, of it, they yeah. converted to Christianity. They were the Roman imperial cult, and the Pont Pontifus Maximus mm -hmm. is the same title as the Pope. That was the high priest of the Roman imperial cult. So a lot of those traditions get carried over. Hmm. So then where does that put the OG Christianity in comparison, the Christianity that was persecuted by Nero that then put its face on like a mask? So what about the original Christianity? Because that would be, in a way, the rebellion against... You want to know what happened to yeah. those people? They're well, extinct because that type of Christianity can't survive. That type of Christianity um, it calls for dropping out of society. Going living in a desert with a, a small commune of people, starting yeah, it doesn't need doesn't need a power structure. Yeah, yeah. they don't that, that 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 old Christianity does not give a shit about who's the Roman emperor, who's the president, what government's doing. They want you. They want there to be a satanic government to kill them because the greatest thing you can do is die for the die for your faith. It, that and so that type of Christianity you don't see that no more. Uh, true. Do you agree we don't see that no more? Or are there certain accounts on Twitter, let's say, that may be keeping that spirit alive? Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think there's some people um, that would probably see there's a very fine line. I think that's that's always been um, 
it's always, you know, um, as someone raised Catholic and, and then obviously dove into all this stuff, um, there's a very fine line because there's, you know, there's original interpretations. There's the there's the Gnostic Gospels, the, the Christ, type of Christians that were hunted down after the Council of Nicaea and the complete takeover by the Roman cult. Um and the rebranding and and everything of, of Christianity, um, and those those gospels which we only know about, uh, or we only know that they're legitimate because we found them in the Nag Hammadi Library, in 1944, in, in clay canopic jars, I believe, in Upper Egypt, um, it, obviously hidden on purpose to preserve. Um, those, you know, they, uh, in my understanding, uh, just like we are talking about, um, you know what I see is true Christianity, the, the, um, the real ideals are, it, it's involves decentralization, individualism, um, and, um, focusing on the internal, you know, your hope is not in this world. I'll give you an example, just to, it's, uh, to yeah. highlight what you're saying right now. I have, this is the Jesus in the gospel of Mary, the most powerful thing you ever hear Jesus say in any of the gospels. He says, don't make laws like the lawless ones do. <laughs> like what this is that and that's that to me when i heard that i said this that sounds like i thought authentic sounds like something jesus because he was in very much opposition to this law way the way of doing law so that the law can keep you in straight where he was more al aligned with like you don't need the law be perfect you know what i mean so that's why i'm saying those the gnostic gospels when they when you hear when jesus is speaking in those gospels it's a different jesus but it's more, it's one that's way more believable, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I certainly think that, you know, um, and a lot of the the really interesting part, which is why I'm like um, pausing before I talk here, is because there's so much of what Gnostic Christianity, you know, um, and those gospels, what they talk about that lines up with what people refer to now as Satanism and Luciferianism. Um and I think the big distinction here and why I wouldn't call myself like a Gnostic Christian is because your salvation is not in, well, in my personal view, um, the, the true vein of Christianity is not in Gnos or, uh, you know, Gnosis is, is not salvation. Knowing everything doesn't bring you any peace and it doesn't, you know, you'll never know everything. The more you learn, the, the less you know um, in a way and, and the, the more ignorant you find out you actually are. So this like idea of salvation through gnosis is um, is bunk, and I think that's what a lot of Luciferianism, and especially, it's what Musk represents at the end of the day is, as the knowledge bearer. Um, you know, he's you know what just to flesh out that idea. You know, obviously he plans on merging with machines. It's what all the predictive programming with him is about, like the Dosex video game, Cyborg, Neuralink. Um, you know, he basically gave the funding for OpenAI to create ChatGPT, um, and now he's created his own XAI, which um, the X is, you know, it's the cross as well. It's um, it's it's his cross. Um, but, uh, and it, that goes to the crook and flail that we were talking about before. It's a, you know, it's another sign of, of um, pharaonic rule and him becoming the Horus, the new Horus to rule the age of Horus, which is the new world order, which is, what the um that horse bird is the same reason why we have the eagle if you look at the our the eagle and the um even going back to the roman you know they have the same type of 
um, symbolism as their their crest with the big bird holding stuff in his in his um, talons. That's all. It's in all Horus. Also in the Hermetic text, um, mm-hmm. the Corpus Hermetica, Horus is the divine child, the Soter, the savior, and he was in the Hermetic religion. He was he was fused with um, Apollo and. Eros, the love, god of love, Eros, and they called him Harpocrates. This actually, the, the Harpocrates, it was there was a early Christian. He was claiming to be a student of John. He lived in Egypt. His name was Harpocrates, and um, he was one of the f- earliest Gnostics that we have um, data on. The only reason why we still know who he is is because of the uh, refutations of the heresies from Irenaeus. Hippolytus and Justin Martyr, and they talk about this guy, and he started a group of Christians. He claimed to be a student of John. This is going back to the late first century, early second century, and um, he uh, he had a son who was named um, Epiphanes, Epif- Epiphanius or something, Epiphanes, and his son died in like in like the year one ten of the Common Era, and they deified him, set up a all set up an altar and a library, basically a church named after this, this child of Carpocrates. And this was, this is one of the best documented times of apotheosis in early Christianity that we have. The why I'm bringing that up. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because in early Christianity, it's not just Jesus who becomes divine and becomes worthy of worship. Anybody whose flesh has the ability to reach gnosis or apotheosis, you can call it, and it's not just gaining knowledge. It's a, it's in a, it's in a, it's a state of perfection that one reaches where they are worthy of deification rituals. They have exited the realm of reincarnation. And yes, early Christians did believe in reincarnation. They called it transmigration of the soul. They didn't call it reincarnation. They mm-hmm. called it transmigration. They said they thought that John the Baptist was a transmigrated Elijah. So the yep. Bible even backs this up. This is not just made up heresy. And the Jews also believe that, by the way. They call it Gilgal, I believe. Yeah, there's an idea of transmigration of the soul. It's pl- big in Platonism, by the way. Pla- Plato is all about this going in, mm. going in. in uh, that, that that ties into the Pharaohs thing and, and the was, rule, yeah. rule by mythology and, and that, that same. The re- mm. And the reason why I bring that up, and I'm going to give it right back to you because this, this is what I was leading up to, is that there was a different, there was an, a different group of Christians early on and I don't know if the Rosicrucians are going back to this. I don't know if you want to call them. the word Gnostic is like they didn't call themselves Gnostics. They just were they just had their own like there was the Carpocratians, there was the Nascenes, there was the Valentinians, there was they all had they didn't call themselves Gnostics, they called themselves those groups. So that's what they call themselves. Christianoi, Christian Christianoi is a later middle second century when they started calling themselves that. There were some Christians calling themselves that in Syria, supposedly. I don't know, but like that, that wasn't like a th- real thing until later. But anyways, the reason I'm bringing that up is because these Christians had a totally opposite, you can call it Luciferian or Satanic, view of the Bible. They thought that y- the, the the Old Testament God was wicked and evil because... Demiurge, Plato's, right? Demiurge, yeah. Plato said a God can't be jealous. Says it right in his book, The Republic. God, or no, I'm sorry, um, Timaeus. He says, God can't be jealous. If the God's jealous, it's not the real God. The monad is perfect. So these early Christians who were Platonists, they were middle Platonists, they recognized that and said, the Old Testament God is not the real true creator. He thinks he is, but he's wrong. 
So you so stemming from that theology, you get groups like called Canaanites, Nassines, Ophites. These are people who are drawing their theology from the great uh, great thinkers of, of ancient Greece, Socrates, Plato, and Arist- Aristotle. And they're looking at those figures as the prophets instead of the other Christians from, from Israel who are looking at Isaiah and Hosea and Jer- Jeremiah, and they put those people up as prophets. These Christians actually had statues of Plato and Pythagoras in their churches. We know that from Irenaeus. So I, I, I think I'd bring it back full circle because as I think this is what these Rosicrucian, Luciferian Christians are bringing back, this type of Christianity. Um, yeah, so um, so I think you're right. I think that's that is what they um, that is a, a lot of what they're you know, especially how they symbolize that is again the rose cross, you know, used in the eight pointed star, re- representing the bring back the divine feminine or Babylon, the birth, Inanna, the, the the new Ishtar. yeah, the new um, age of Horus. Um, and that's what, of course, Crowley specifically said was that he believed that there was a previous matriarchal society where, you know, they everybody worshipped um, um, Athena and the, the matriarchal. And then we focused very much on just the male under like the Osiris New Kingdom. Um, so you just had Osiris and Horus. There's two males. They're just all the pharaohs. The val- but um, what on oh, just one. Uh, so. To get to your point, I think you'll really like this. I think this might actually connect with um, Elon for you so you can kind of understand um, where I'm coming from is, of course, what you were talking about, the Demiurge and how it's not the true God. Um, You know, the idea that in these Gnostic Gospels, which, again, found like the ones found in the Nakamadi Library, they describe the creator of the physical world as separate from, you know, the one true overall etheric you know, five-dimensional type God is how I would describe it personally. But they talk about the Demiurge and his archons, which are all, again, um, in some way artificial. They don't have the same connection to the divine as humanity. And for that reason, they're jealous. And their goal is to create is to get humanity to forget its divinity and continue to feed all of their energy to the archon or to the archons and the Demiurge. And what is that, you know, what I see that representing is the um, is this coming AI and the fusion. What's the ultimate giving up your divinity and worshiping technology is completely fusing with it. Transhumanism. And that's what Elon Musk is here to convince the world of because Elon Musk is, you know, he's definitely not a Christian. He's definitely does not believe you know, in any type of spirituality. And he literally just said, I'm not sure on his interview with Tucker, like last week, he was like, oh, well, I kind of like the idea of a soul. I I guess I feel like I have one, but do I really? I'm not sure. So that that's ultimately him. He is the fulfillment of what the Gnostics were warning us about. You know, in these thousands of years before we even knew about artificial intelligence, they still had somehow had a concept of it. Yeah, and one of the big themes in a lot of these quote Gnostic groups that we call them is the idea of exiting this realm of materialism and becoming one with the pleroma that apotheosis uh exiting the cycle of reincarnation and be becoming your final perfect form of yourself it's very platonist um but this is this is the thing about elon if elon musk was to go back in time and present this idea that you can 
become one with AI and upload your consciousness into a computer and exit this material realm and go into this other realm where the sky's the limit. You're going to live, you're just going to live in space eternally powered by the stars. And you're just going to float around in this indestructible tube and just be able to control your surrounding. You're a God now. Immortal. Yeah. You're immortal. You're a God. You're in your own, you're in your own universe. You can create people to talk to their AI. They're, they seem real to you. Everything feels real, smells real, tastes real. Is that like, is that saying, is that like what Jesus did? in a way where Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll bring you to heaven. Believe in me. Is it no, another? Well, another? it's, no. it's a similar thing, but it's also the, why not? in some ways, the exact opposite. Wait, I'll tell you why not that's quickly. Why, that's why, it, it would make some mad the, dudes. It, the opposite. It's a polar opposite. It's a polar opposite, but also Neil, some mad dudes could come in with a hammer and they could just whack your body while it's in that state. And then you're gone. Then Ooh. you're dead. Who? Some mad dudes, you know, they could just come in Ooh. while you're hooked up to the Matrix and they could just, like, no, whack it with saying. a hammer. You're dead. you're dead. You're uploaded your consciousness. Your body's gone. You don't need your body anymore. Then they'll it's kick, uh, destroy the server farm. You know, they'll do whatever. The point is that you're still dependent. You're still dependent on, on being somewhere, yeah, with yes. ones and zeros. That's, what I'm saying I is that that's that. the limitation and the difference with what you're saying and what, let's say, all of these mystery school traditions are saying is that the goal, in my opinion, is to work on your willpower and to be able to surpass certain limitations by your own works, not by having ones and zeros do it for you, because at that point you actually start devolving into the state of an animal because you're not working on yourself. That's what I personally believe. I don't know, Drew, if you agree, disagree. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you I think you basically uh, you painted the picture perfectly. So imagine, just like you described there. Um, you know, it, imagine Elon Musk in, in a, probably a decade or less. He's going to come on TV and he's going to say, not only do we got Neuralink, guys, we've also got full-on upload your consciousness. You can live forever. You can have whatever you want. You can have it all instantly. And, um, and yeah, he's going to offer people um, heaven via upload. But in reality, this is a classic, one of my favorite uh, philosophers, uh, Alan Watts, which I'm sure, have, have you ever listened to any of his stuff? Oh, I love Alan Watts. So yeah, he does, he does this one thought experiment where he's like, he's like, well, you know, if you find yourself in like constant, um, you know, agony of this world, then just imagine, imagine you actually did get everything you wanted as soon as you wanted it. How quickly would you lose interest in every possible um pleasure of earth every materialistic pleasure would mean nothing to you and then how quickly would you just turn to pain and and mm -hmm. just become a complete um just become what we think of as a satanist where the only joy you can get is by doing complete horrible things and torturing other people and that's what that's why they do that at, at the highest levels is that's the only that's the only thing money can't buy that's the only thing that they can get they, they, they can truly have that nobody else can um, because of their absolute power. But, um, but yeah, no, exactly. Imagine, imagine the secular world that we live in today where even very smart people I know have no concept of spirituality or, or any type of idea of, a, of divinity. As soon as they get the option to, to jack in and jack off <laughs> into the, uh, into the multi, into Plato's the, uh, goon cave. metaverse. Plato's yeah, yeah. goon cave. That's what that is. They're gone, and that's that's what um, you know. In Revelation, uh, Revelation nine six, and in those days, men shall seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. 
that's exactly what um, that's exactly what's being set up. And just like you said, it's it sounds exactly like um, you know it's a it's an exact mirror of of Jesus's message, but it's applicable for secular people that are purely materialist. They have no they've never had a concept of they've never experienced anything outside of their their materialism, pure quantum realm. So they're 100% going to plug right in. Wait, before, before Neil in mind, this is, this Mm -hmm. is the greatest achievement for the Epicurean mind because Mm -hmm. there is no afterlife. It's you're done. So you're, you're extending reality and not only extending reality, you're having all the options that you can, Epicureans are all about eat, drink, be merry. Mm. Like this is, this is the, the do what thou wilt, do what thou wilt. It's, it's literally heaven for the Epicurean Luciferian mindset. Yeah. Wait, but to be fair to the Epicureans, though, from what I understood, their whole thing was not just like gorging yourself on bonbons, but doing certain things in measured ways so that you get the most experience out of it without necessarily getting to that point of being overwhelmed by by sensations. So I think at least the old school Epicureans seem to have a better way of doing this. But to another point, though. What's weird to me about this whole comparison with, let's say, Elon Musk and all these cats to these ancient mystery school traditions is that I'm sure somebody like, let's say, even Jack Parsons, for instance, if he was so into all these rituals, I am pretty sure he would have known at least about Kundalini energy and being able to meditate in such a way as to bring that energy up to the um, higher levels of the the spine and all that. But if you're aware that that's, that kind that's of exactly what the sex magic yeah, rituals that's but, what they mean. But they talk about the horror mm-hmm. Babylon. Oh, I'll let no, you no, no, go on, go on. In one yeah. sec. The the reason why they talk about things like the horror Babylon, the word whole, uh, horror, you know, it just means whole ultimately, and the what it originally meant like when you talk about like these ancient um sex alchemists and these ancient sex cults what they were doing they were doing sex magic with the whores that's what a what a whore was used for Por- it was not pornea. Pornea. was was to perform sex magic which is basically non um a sexual transmutation not ejaculating but at doing the uh, sex act with intention but god but when you get to that point though when you get the kundalini up the spine i do not equivocate that with let's say plugging yourself into some artificial ones and zeros type matrix what i would equivalent that to is actually being able to unlock other higher let's say states of consciousness that otherwise you would not have and this is why i'm kind of at an impasse here when it comes to well what exactly are these people doing today because if they are talking about having Neuralink be the thing that gets them from uh, zero to one then they're totally i things spitting and stomping on the entire legacy of the people who came before them because their whole thing was actually work on yourself work on your inner world and now they just want to build all this stuff and it's not it's not for them it's not for them they're not they're not the ones doing they're just getting rid of everyone else yeah those are two separate those are two separate completely separate things interesting they don't don't necessarily have to be compared to each other one in one sense you have the meditation mindset where you're practicing your principles and and the other sense it's getting to a place a desired desired place there's not necessarily you don't have to like i think love what you your ten your tendency is to like bring those two together and compare them as if they needed to be compared they really don't they're two different things I wouldn't say they're two different things if one person decides to do both. If one person decides to plug into the it's matrix like saying, with a uh, with a mind ship while at the same time trying to meditate, all I'm saying is that they're going to have a fucking hard 
time meditating when they have all of this sensory input going into their brain, which is, by the way, the reason why when people meditate, they prefer doing it in a darkened room. They prefer doing right. it. Yeah, but what's wide. the difference? If you can do all that, if you can control all those settings. Uh, because and, you're not controlling them. It's being controlled for you. That's the difference. What's the difference if the, if the reality, if the experience is exactly the same, what's the difference? Because either you define life as being one where every single thing has a meaning, meaning like every choice, every thought, every that, single thing we do has a meaning, then when you have something that's being done for you, it means that you are not participating in the action yourself. You are not willing yourself not, into having not, a certain not, kind of experience. That, I think that matters. I think that matters. I don't know. Drew, do you agree with me? Do you agree with Neil? Yeah, no, I mean, so, so you know, it's... Ultimately, uh, you know, we're again talking about a theoretical, yes. you know, metaphors, matrix type situation. Um, and of course, the matrix, which was made, um, uh, we, if you notice how much it's entered like the mainstream um, lexicon now talking about the matrix and simulation theory, which Elon Musk has done a lot to promote. Um, it, in, it, it kind of describes, well, in the matrix movie itself, you know, Neo, um, the movie begins and ends in room 303, which is 33. Um, Jesus died at 33 years old. Um, he was, you know, resurrected in three days. But And Neo is also dies and is resurrected. That's when he becomes, like, immortal in the Matrix, is in front of room 303. Um, but so it's a, you know, there's a fusion of these of these two concepts. But the idea here is that, one group of people, if you are secular, you will, there is no logical reason why you wouldn't accept um, to, okay, I'm going to die. Should I jack my consciousness into the computer? Absolutely, 100%. There's no reason why anyone would, if you don't have faith, if you don't why have not? any any sense of spirituality, you will 100% do it. And that is, you're going to find yourself, if you have the option, that's that's the problem with, with, hu with humanity is we don't actually know what we want. If we got everything we wanted, as soon as we want it, we would be in hell. You would yes. be. You would have nothing to desire. That's our, why. That's our that's humanity the humanity is not. It, we're not built for that type of logic, and that's. I mean, they literally talk about it in the Matrix. They say originally they created the Matrix as like a utopia paradise, and this really gets down to the bottom of of all utopian ideals, because it's ultimately what is. That is a utopia as well as if, oh, everyone's in a pod, they're getting exactly what yeah. they want and the rest of the world, we can have it on auto um, terraforming, make everything beautiful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, what all these utopian ideas, if you notice, there's one common theme is that um, both um, Plato's Timaeus and Critias, uh, I forget which one, um, where he's describing the laws of Atlantis right before he goes into the laws, the dialogue ends. There's no yeah. more of it. Right. And the mm -hmm. same thing with Francis, ba Francis Bacon's New Atlantis. It ends before it ends before it's just incomplete. Secret. So all the mm -hmm. utopian ideas are always incomplete because there's no way to do it. It's all it's an internal state. Hold on one second. I'll, I'll just finish this thought. It's yeah. an internal state. Getting everything you want is not is not it. You're still going to be miserable. You're always going to find you need a challenge. And the other thing is that. Um, is that complete gnosis and knowing exactly like on a quantum reality, having an AI that could predict your entire life for you is uh, it one takes away all the fun. And two, you're there's still a um, 
basically with quantum physics experiments, we find out we're not even living in a quantum reality. There is a certain unpredictable aspect that happens as a result of us just observing things. We actively change them as we observe them. Um, and, um, and yeah, so gnosis isn't the answer. The answer is to have faith and accept that what our experience is perfect as it is right now. And that's what, that is the ultimate where the, between the do what thou wilt, which I see as the, you know, Luciferian Satanism Gnostic compared to a more, what I see as the true Christianity, which, you know, throw my hat in with every other person that's ever lived is I think it's, it's about accepting that faith and faith is the answer, giving up the power, not trying to get as much power over your environment, but delegating it trust and love is is the is the way to to live in the best way possible and and accept that things end and that you're going to die and if you don't if you don't have that type of spirituality or that that viewpoint then you will jack into the matrix and and elon's going to have your soul so so what you're talking what we're what we're actually leading into now is the very ancient debate the ages the thousands of years of epicureanism versus platonism which I think is the two main worldviews that stem everything else, liberalism, conservatism. How do you how do you um, how do you spell that that name that you keep? Uh, what's the E P I C U R E A N I S M. It's from Epicurus. He's the he's the he was a student of the of Demo- the school of Democritus, D E M O C R I T U S. Okay, these, awesome. These were the rationalists of ancient Greece. These are the people who opposed the um, the uh, superstitious religious people. They were the think. They were the scientific minds. They were the ones. By the way, Democritus, thousands of years before we had microscopes, was theorizing atomic theory. This is how smart these people were. He theorized that the universe is made up of atoms and void. That's this is it. This is it. There's no other realms. We're here. This is it. So you could, in, in a way, you can say that the Epicureans were basically the fedora atheists of their time, even if they participated in the rites because they knew that there was some there was spiritual, there was something to uh, there there were some pleasures there were some there were some pluses in, in being involved in these rites and attending the the the, uh, the festivals every month all that stuff they they weren't like the new atheism like anti theists they weren't like that but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because. Even even the Epicureans who are charged with, you know, being not religious and being rationalist, even they is is central to their doctrines was the idea of that the you can't have what you want. You had there like to, in order to understand what good is, you have to have understand what bad is. So you even you even have this mentality of, and so what I'm getting at is if you had this. In this thought experiment, if you did have the option to jump into a, a computer and just be perfect, yeah, I think that would get depressing after a period of time. I think you would end up being bored. I, I actually agree with that. And guess what? The universe that we're in, there's going to be a, 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 a heat death eventually. So no matter what, even if, even if you are in a device floating around in space, that's going to die one day. There is no escaping death. So at some point, whether you're a Christian or not, now, now I'm going above both of these worldviews now. At some point, you do have to just throw your head in and say, whatever happens, happens. 
And when this universe ends, who knows what's going to happen after that? Maybe there is something bigger than this. This is this, so the, a lot of the a lot of the Epicureans were deists. They believed in a first mover, but this first mover has no control. Spinoza was one of these people. Thomas Paine is one of these people. Um, these people thought that there was a, there there was a creator, but this creator basically is the architect of everything in the universe. And then as soon as they started the universe off, they they're gone. They're not, they're not affecting world stuff. They're not like changing elections or making a sports team win or anything like that. They're not answering prayers. They're not doing anything like that. But there's the idea of when this is all over, what is this deity going to do? Is he going to bring back the consciousness of everybody? That's a, and so the, the Epicureans would, 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 would say just thinking, just like throwing your, throwing your hat in and saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me is a victory over death because you no longer one of the central doctrines of epicureanism is to not fear death is to not even like it's don't even think about it it's that's it's a it's a key uh it's a key part of all the initiation ceremonies of just about every secret society skull and bones they have you climb into a coffin um uh like Shaolin monks they'll stop your heart and you then are, resuscitate yes. you or you are uh, dead yeah you, the only thing promised is that you are going to die. The assassins, the assassins cult of um, uh, that the Crusaders H ran Hassan into. Hassan Saba, yeah, yeah, yeah. H Hassan, yeah, yeah. Isn't that fitting for today's <laughs> day and age with, it all, with his little suicide cult he runs? But um, he, they literally, yeah. They're um, what what they would do is they get they get the young inductees, the kids. They get them hopped up on hopium, like uh, fucking. You know, have them fucking smoke their weed pen 24-7 while watching you on stream. And then when they wake up in the hopium days, um, or <laughs> the opium days, uh, he would have them wake up in a garden full of virgins. And he'd, uh, and then he'd put them back into sleep, wake them up, and then say, oh, there you go. We just showed you heaven. So that's what's going to happen if you just follow my lead, do everything I say. Um, then you'll go back there when you die. And so to prove that, um, the first like Western experience we have recorded of in uh, getting involved with these people, the assassins and Hassan, um, was that homeboy goes, uh, check this out to the Crusaders, to the Templars. He goes, yo, uh, he calls out to his guys in the guard tower. He says, jump. And a bunch of them just jump off the side straight to their death on the rocks. And that was his way of, of showing exactly what power but yeah the, oh, the no and, fear over death well, is extremely important and, and here, so you know you know who diogenes is right the great the great thinker diogenes he who met alexander the great told him to get out get out of my sunlight he was no i no i didn't oh so diogenes was from sinope he, he's from the same time as plato him and plato hated each other it was the biggest beef of the time if you if you were living in athens you were watching them debate all the time about shit and yelling at each other calling each other stupid Diogenes was one of the bit one was one of the big, um, I guess you would say like he's he's a cynic, so the cynics influenced both the the Epicureans and the Stoics. Cynicism is like the father of both of those schools, and um, he said this is this is so amazing. I love this guy. I I I, I love Diogenes. One of my favorite people of all time. Then when his, when his disciples asked him. He was getting up up there in age. He's like a hundred years old. He's this guy's living out in the wilderness, eating bugs, and like he was like didn't give a shit about society. He didn't give a shit about Plato. He thought Plato was like a, a basically like one of those like Ivy League 
like douchebags. He can't st- always talking shit about Plato, living out living out in a barrel with dogs surrounding him, as a homeless person. This is what he. This is the type of life he was living. And he one day his disciples said, "What do you want us to do with your body after you die?" He said, "You know what? This is what I want you guys to do. See that bridge over there?" He's like, "Yeah. All right, bring me over that bridge. Tie a tie a sword to my hand. Throw me over the bridge into the water so that then I can fight the fishes." And they go. How are you going to fight the fishes if you're dead? And he looks at them and he says, exactly. Why the hell should I care about my body after I'm dead? And it was like, it's one of those, like, boom. Like, one of those, like, real, I guess you could say it's Epicurean, it's Stoic, it's it's rational. But it's also, like, why are we scared of death and rituals of after our afterlife? It's going to happen no matter what. Like, why should we even fear it? Like, it should not, you should not waste your time worrying about dying. You should waste your time spending your life and enjoying your life and being good and work and becoming a better person for the world around you you know but then there is also the question of when you're talking about becoming a better person and while i agree with drew that becoming a better person i think is extremely important and just having knowledge is not enough because i think being a better person goes hand in hand with understanding what exactly all this is about i wouldn't necessarily say that the only reason why we're here is to just be a good person and it has nothing at all to do with gaining any kind of knowledge where when we're talking about the virtual reality existence with the ones and zeros like drew was talking about it can become like an actual hell like that twilight zone episode about that gambler who keeps winning every single game in the afterlife and then finds out that it's actually hell but the big difference i think here is that there is a closed loop that ends up happening in both cases in the case where let's say you have like people living in a certain middle ages lifestyle and they just do whatever the church tells them to and they keep repeating and repeating the cycle for thousands of years and that's all fine but you're not really getting anywhere beyond you know your usual human foibles and the question always arises like well what is beyond there and is it necessarily so that just being a good person having the family that that's going to be all that this was ever meant to be that's number one but number two there was another closed loop of the virtual reality landscape where we are only going to be able to experience what we think of as pleasurable only the things that we know how to simulate and then the question is well what's beyond that how are we so fucking confident in our own ability to understand what this is all about that we are going to create a world that's going to give us all the answers i highly doubt it so in a way when you create this virtual reality world that neil you were saying well what's the difference between that and that in that vr world we only have the knowledge that we currently have now while if we actually train ourselves i think it is possible to through apotheosis or whatever you want to call it to unlock other states that you would not necessarily be able to just neatly put into the ones and zeros environment so the idea is to go beyond that cycle but uh, i don't know true uh, what do you think oh and also for the twitter space people be sure to click on the link in the jumbotron because i know that you guys are saying that the sound is weird this whole twitter space is for the sake of driving people to youtube so be sure to knock the hell out of that subscribe button and the bell and the like button anyway and also sneed those super chats we're going to do those at the end anyway drew go for it um 
this is a this is a real interesting way we've we've taken this conversation, which I which I do enjoy. I mean, it does ultimately get down to the core of you know uh, the crux of of why you know I think what I do about um, Elon. But if we want to talk about the you know the highest level, you know what's the meaning of life type shit. Um, I think, uh, well, my good friend, uh, Donnie Darkin, uh, put it in a really good way the other day, um, was that it's not, um, you know, we're not, our, our hope is not in this world. Um, and we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to, you know, take over the world or whatever. Um, we're not supposed to like be so worried about winning the culture war or whatever. Um, it's, it's victory over sin that we need to worry about. And, uh, sin is, you know, obviously means a lot of different things to different people, but it's basically self-harming actions, actions that take you farther away from source and, um, and divinity, which is, you know, ultimately where you're going to feel the best. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my general view. It's, it's, you know, it's people spend that classic adage about, um, you know, if you want to change the world, you know, start with yourself or whatever. Um, that is, uh, at the end of the day, the most important thing. And I think, um, part of my mission is as much as what I do looks like, you know, me trying to win over the rulers of the world or whatever. Ultimately, that's the, um, all I want to do is give the script to people so that they can stop, um, giving their energy to false idols. And, um, and yeah, and then, and then you can, focus that energy internally and, and figure out what you really think about yourself and what you really want to do and, and stop stop giving your literal emotional energy over the to the events of the world whether or not oh is trump going to win the election oh is biden going to win what's going on what's going on instead of you know actually focusing on improving your life and your legacy your family etc cetera, etc cetera. neil do you agree yeah sure um i mean at the end of the day you your world is what you make. I mean, this life is kind of what you make it. You know, I do believe in the, uh, I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with like the stoic sense that you have to just accept your lot and just take it. I do think that there are ways to improve and to benefit the world around you in ways that you can control. But, uh, I do want to say this though. I think that if people who think we went off topic, we actually didn't because Elon Musk, um, his, like his 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 artistic expression of you know having symbolism of Artemis in Apollo as as these symbols of like voyagers in the sky basically that is very much in the sen- in the vein of Luciferianism because I mean these are ancient symbols of of Greek Greek gods who are had the title of being Luciferian uh, Diana or uh, Artemis is her title was Luciferia. She was the light bringer. Same with Apollo, the bright one. Apollo was kicked out of heaven. And uh, just like uh, Lucifer is in Milton Friedman's book. So in ba- that and Milton Friedman. John Milton. John, 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 I'm sorry. I, I Milton That's the economist. Um, <laughs> John Milton. Uh, John Milton's book about uh, Lucifer is drawing. It's not from a Bible text. It's drawing from. Well, it is drawing from Isaiah uh, with the fall of Lucifer. But that's only a little sentence. It's mostly drawing from the story of Prometheus Enoch, the fallen angels, but also Apollo, the beautiful lyre playing um, light giver. The like the, that's that's Apollo. He's describing Apollo. Basically, the image of Lucifer in that book is the image of Apollo. And so, what happens is 
uh, Luciferianism and Satanism is paganism incarnate. So Lucifer as a deity, as a higher power, as an artistic expression, however you want to call it, whatever, whichever way, whichever way you want to describe it, we're just language at this at this point. That is the old pagan traditions incarnate into a deity. And that's so to the eyes of the Christians, Judeo-Christian Muslims, that's Satan. To the eyes of the others, to the people who oppose Judeo-Christian Islam, that's the light bringer. That's light. That's God. That's the greatest thing. That's the highest ideal there is. It's the monad. So it depends on how you look at mm. it. Yeah, I think I think Lucifer, um, Lucifer, the word Lucifer to refer to the devil, I believe, was first used in the King James Bible. So effectively, it was Francis Bacon and the Rosicrucians who who put that in there. Good point, dude. Good point. Because that's because you you don't get you have Lucifer in the Latin Bible. Like that's in the Latin Bible. The English Bible draws from Jerome's Latin text. And Lucifer being the fallen one in Isaiah, that was not that 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 in, in Hebrew it's not it's Halel ben Shekor, it's uh dawn, son of the dawn, son of the dawn, it's a it's a it's Venus basically in the sky. So Isaiah is talking about the king of Babylon falling from his high position. He's not saying Halel ben Shekor is evil. He's saying look how high and great Venus is. You were like Venus and then you fell. Isaiah has nothing bad to say about Lucifer. The idea, but like you said, in the King James Bible, it becomes the bad guy. It becomes the fallen angel. Which is funny, by the way, because the King James Bible was allegedly, like we talked about before, written by uh, Sir Francis Bacon, who was all about a lot of this uh, Luciferian stuff. So what does that tell you? Why is, he, why is he leading us astray? What's going on here, you think? Because I don't well, understand. Yeah. So this that's that's a real interesting question. I think that um, this this is good because it uh, will advance a little further in, into what I see as the American Apocalypse X. What I'm um, and the X is obviously very important, um, given it's basically um, you know it originally was the X was used by very early Christians in the Phoenician al alphabet. It was the last letter, so. It basically represented, you know, the perfection, completion, etc. Um, and some of the earliest Christians were seen using, you know, an X symbolism. Um, and there's also a rune, the G rune. Uh, I think it's Gabor. Um, and that that rune is basically what's also uh, it stands for basically like sex and creation, etc. And that also is where, um, you know, Freemasonry uh, takes the G from as well. But um, to get to that that point you just made about this idea of of the light bringer also being, you know, Satan and uh, etc., is what I see coming as far as I think a lot of people in the conspiracy fear it, and actually it's now becoming very mainstream as they continue to do more and more disclosure about UFOs, and now that you know the Navy is officially. Um, recognized it and you know there's whistleblowers all over the place talking about hundreds and hundreds of different radar blips starting um starting after world war ii um and actually a lot of people point to when parsons first did the babylon working then we had roswell very shortly after three months after roswell we get the cia and air force are started basically to compartmentalize 
all the information um, and the various scenarios brought up by Roswell. Um, and so anyways, and also right after Parsons died, we had one of the craziest um, public UFO sightings, which was a bunch of UFOs over the White House and literally the scrambled fighters. fighter scrambled fighters. Yeah. Foo fighters was, yeah. What they referred to them um, in world war two um, over Europe, I believe is, is where that first um, originated. But, um, but yeah, so uh, that people said that was in response to his death, which he blew up in a factory in his, uh, his garage, like laboratory. So who knows that could have been a, a killing of the King type thing where they offed him, but because he did fall out of grace with the U S government for a lot of reasons, but, um long story Wait, short he, what i he died yeah he blew up in a his factory yeah and like his garage whoa so, and, so yeah and he like with the u.s government they kind of like um you know obviously jpl um majorly helped out with the apollo program and all this stuff but basically because of his occultism and then like his allegiances to thelema um during the cold war they were um you know obviously on the lookout for anyone with other allegiances so they um uh kind of had a falling out with them but um anyways what i see coming as like the part of this apocalypse is very much in tune with the other guy the religion started by the other guy who was in the babylon working l ron hubbard who's been basically effectively been the biggest influence in hollywood since Think of all the movies that even people that aren't publicly Scientologists, for instance, Will Smith, who isn't publicly a Scientologist, but him and his wife started a Scientology school for children in L.A. and had their own kids go to it, which explains why they're so fucked up. But um, and there's a lot of Scientology's got hitters. So there's going to be people coming for me for this. And, and they do have some really great takes on pharma and psychology. Yes, yes. Um, and I'm sure Hubbard's been um, unreasonably slandered in, in some ways. But um, why I say they got hitters is because they specifically refer to themselves as not being a turn the other cheek religion. Right. So remember when Will Smith slapped uh, what Chris Rock slapped him on stage, that is in Scientology. If someone disrespects you, you either slap them or a higher ranking person in Scientology slaps you. Yeah. So that was a huge dog whistle for anyone in the know. They knew exactly what the whole controversy was about. And it's basically a humiliation ritual for Will Smith and it helping to emasculate men and destroy any semblance of, of a solid family structure we have in the U.S. That family is an absolute shit show. And anyone that looks up to them is going to have an insanely dysfunctional family. But, um, you know... Anyway, Scientology, what their actual religion, which they don't talk about publicly, only once you get in and, and you gain, you go to a higher level by donating hundreds of thousands of dollars, is they talk about this, um, they talk about this alien God who brought humanity here, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago or whatever. I, I forget the exact lore, but his name starts with an X. Um, and, and yeah, so their religion itself Zenu. Scientology. Zenu. yeah Zenu. yeah yeah so their religion itself is very tied into aliens so imagine what happens when we get this eventual alien disclosure where does everybody run to oh suddenly find out that we have aliens and you know of course they're gonna say oh we created you we are the anunnaki blah blah which might have i mean it's possible that there was a you know there is a separate you know uh species 
um, which I don't, there's no reason to think that they're extraterrestrial. They, um, you know, could have come from anytime people talk about UFOs. Yeah, exactly. Why it, there's, uh, it's in my view, more likely that it, um, it comes from inside the earth. Um, but, uh, anyways, when that happens, Scientology, they have the biggest, most popular people already behind it. Already the people that people are worshiping as idols, icons, living gods that have actually played gods on TV, a.k.a. superheroes. You have the whole Marvel cast. You have um, Will Smith and Tom Cruise, etc., etc. When they bring out the aliens, and I guarantee you whatever they're going to spin is going to be very similar to what Scientology has been telling people behind closed doors. There's already super well-funded, you know, elite cult is going to take a huge amount of the mind share of the population of the earth, which is now not only not only are the secular people now like, oh, fuck, there's alien gods. Oh, shit. There's also going to be a huge amount of depressed religious people who see the existence as the of these aliens as nullifying everything they've ever been taught. Right. Um, so that is, yeah, that's going to be a huge part of it. And that you know, Scientology the has this, has the cross that the Rose cross. So it's, it's the final progression. And that's what brings in a new world order. Cause we'll need a new, we'll need a one world government to communicate with them. Um, notice and, how yeah, the Catholic church, story. notice how the Catholic church has already recently come out and said, if aliens are, do exist, what we had like, that doesn't change anything. Like they're already setting themselves up for the possibility of that information coming out so that they don't have to look like idiots when it does happen. They're saying, yeah, aliens exist. So Jesus is still, yeah. Christianity is still good. And they own all the observatories. They've always owned all the telescopes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. They, they're, like, well, let's not forget like all the, the, the big bang theorist was a Catholic Galileo. Obviously like the, the Catholic church is so embedded in like the academia, academia history and the study of, of the universe that is just that's just a part of that's just a, another player along with other you know with like Harvard or you know CERN or like all these big players in the spaces of like well the the, the Da Vinci oh. Code gives a real um, it gives a real good look because it, it literally showed what what happened in the Catholic Church and, and in a way kind of does some predictive programming what's even to come but the um, the secret society within the church usurping the current pope and then having a new one come in who's part of the group uh, aka the jesuits you, uh, you watch the da vinci code yeah yeah okay so so yeah i mean they, they basically showed it right there they're like oh yeah well the secret society guy's going to take over and then next thing you know you have benedict step down first pope and i believe 500 600 years at a minimum to step down before dying um yeah, that's it, yeah. and then then you got Francis pop in. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that whole uh, I'm not going to seek the papacy thing. Psych. Right. Um, it's, crazy. it's wild stuff. And it yeah. makes you wonder with all the wealth and all the resources that go behind these figures in the church, not just the pope, but the bishops and the cardinals. They all have they all have a crew of of basically mafia underneath these people like and they're and so you have to wonder what the hell is going on in the inner politics of the Catholic Church that we don't even know about. Like there's probably so much shit that we don't even know about that's going on with this. Yeah, and uh, what's really important too to just kind of go back to that original theme because again, a lot of what I'm setting up in the American apocalypse is is basically showing the reoccurrence of the same cycle 
Um, the same way from the age of Aries into Pisces, we're having a very similar setup from the age of um, Pisces into Aquarius. So there you had the death of the Roman Republic and the beginning of the Roman Empire, starting with, um, with Julius Caesar being voted out of power January 7th, um, 49 BC. What did we have in the U.S.? We had um, Donald Trump was voted out of power on January 7th of 2021. But the only reason it was on January 7th was that it was pushed back several hours because of the insurrection. And I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase crossing the Rubicon. Yeah. You heard about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so that is why Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon was because he was voted out of power on January 7th. So and see, and yeah. it's actually, it actually goes deeper than that because 40 years before Caesar did it, Caesar was still alive and he witnessed his uncle's rival, his uncle Marius's rival, Sola, who did exactly what Caesar did, rounded up his troops, crossed the Rubicon, walked into the Senate, said, I'm taking this bitch over Rome's mind for the time being. And he did that. And Caesar, fought, Caesar took the playbook from Sola and did exactly the same thing. So And so... Yeah, there's the, the, that that the the idea of crossing the Rubicon is something is something like a, a, a paradigm shift. It's, it's something like a takeover status. It be, it becomes a phrase crossing the Rubicon. Like anybody it doesn't have to be in Rome anymore. It can be anything now. You know. Oh, you are muted right now, Drew. Um, we we saw it kind of repeated as well with uh, Washington crossing the Delaware um, on yeah. Christmas. Because uh, January seventh was originally Christmas in the um, for the Greek Orthodox and January sixth, um, I think it was January sixth. Uh, what uh, it could be, I think. Uh, it's interesting. I, I know, January I know, 6th. Greek Orthodox um, might have been seventh. Yeah, it's one of the yeah, it's, it's, Greek it's Orthodox currently yeah. celebrated on Jan seventh. But regardless, um, yeah, you have that. Um, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. So, yeah, it's, we'll, see, we'll see how it plays out. You know, the 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 connection I was drawing there, though, is that um, is that there's the handoff of the old world republic and Christianity um, to this new um, Aquarian age, information age, um, religion and society government. Um it seems like it's being done. It has to be like handed off from the old world. So we had the Jesuits were basically, uh, I don't know if I got to get this in earlier, but Je- um, Fauci and Trump both went to Jesuit schools and that's essentially where they make initial contact. And then, um, wow, and, and Fauci talks about it um, all the time is his Jesuit training. And of course, one of the original founders of um, the Illuminati along with, uh, uh, so Adam Weissop, was a Jesuit as well. Um, and of course with the Rothschilds and, and, uh, Jacob Frank. Um, but, uh, you know, started in 1776, same year that they signed the declaration of independence. Um, Oh yeah. A lot of shit happened in 1776, not even in just America, but in France, England, Germany, you had the Bavarian Bavarian order over there in Germany. You mentioned Weissop. So yep, Bavarian Illuminati. It was a global movement. It was a international movement of changing the paradigm, uh, and, and as a result, the death of the Holy Roman Empire ensued early in the 19th century. Never, never saw again. Common law, actually, the Napoleonic Codex became the common law. 
that is in Europe right now. So those those movements are still it, it, that age is still right now. We're still in that age. But uh, here's what I don't get, fellas. When the founding fathers, uh, like you were saying, they were not big fans of uh, uh, democracy, I think, either, because their democracy was representative. And they also were supposed to be of the mindset that the people who could participate in democracy had to be of a certain intellectual well, how, and philosophical level. So the, Athens was, too. Yeah. Athens, Athens didn't let poor, some random dude on the street vote. So only- okay, so here, okay, so here's what I don't understand though. Why not emphasize the same thing? Instead, it seems at least the culture today is very low, even among well, the elites. It does not seem like they are emphasizing the need to improve oneself, to have some kind of a uh, alchemical inner transformation. Instead, it just seems to be, oh, we're just going to get these fancy gadgets and gizmos and put everybody in them. This is what, and I know we talked about this before, but I'm really trying to figure this out. Are you guys saying, or rather, Drew, are you saying that the elites in your opinion, understand that, yes, there are all these rituals to be done on oneself. And yes, maybe if we lived back in 1776, there would be maybe not so many people that we could have this emphasis on, hey, like the people in our community, let's all lift them up to this higher level. But now that's not the case anymore. There's way too many people. So we're just going to take like us and maybe our families and we are going to improve ourselves while the rest of the people are going to go into like full uh, bug man mode. I don't know. Would that be a fair uh, assessment here? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty accurate. And I think also important to make this distinction, which which we kind of ran into um, in our conversation um, earlier this week, is that the the public facing elites are not necessarily like the actual ones. Um, they're usually just just stupid yes men who are power hungry um, that have no morals. So. They, so the people really running the show in the background just set them up. They, uh, they make them commit crimes. They have them run the wars for them. So eventually when people have had enough and hold these, this old ruling class accountable, um, they're going to take out these, um, uh, the, the public facing people. But, um, to, to get to your question, um, yeah, no, basically it's, it's a test. It's all, um, it's Darwinian in a way, and it's also it very much goes along with scripture in the um, in the idea of a kind of rapture, where um, but almost in reverse. I think a Thanos snap, which is kind of actually it is the same thing as as the rapture. If you look at the uh, in the text in the scripture where they describe the rapture, it's um, it's one out of every two goes uh, disappears so two men in the field one disappears so it's exactly the thanos snap which is what uh you know I, we didn't really get time to cover it today but um the marvel the marvel series named after marvel jack parsons the character who starts the avengers in the marvel universe is based off of marvel jack parsons it looks yeah. exactly like him and and in the story you can just tell exactly who it is okay he's the He's the savant guy who's coming up with everything. But actually in the deeper comics, um, not necessarily in the movie universe, he literally is a comic that came out in, I believe, 2016, where it reveals that um, uh, Iron Man's dad, who is this guy I'm talking about, uh, Howard Stark, he is a Satanist and has promised the devil his son 
soul in return for all this knowledge, which he used to basically, you know, save the universe from Thanos. Um, but yeah, he literally, and of course, you know, Parsons literally called himself the Antichrist and, and all that shit. So, and was trying to create a moon child, AKA a moon, what's a moon child? There's the Christ sun child with all the solar symbology. Um, then you have a moon child, which would be the opposite. Wow. But, um, but uh, yeah, no, that's, that's ultimately it. It is a, um, it's a test. I, I, and here's the other real interesting thing that I think we might've had a question that was kind of around this, but it's like, and it goes along with the astrology cycle stuff is like, we're kind of obsessed with this idea of like a narrative and like the people that are implementing that seem to be implementing uh, what's going on are, you know, a hundred percent evil and blah, blah, blah. And a, a lot of them are, but there's also an inevitability to these types of things. Like as these cycles go on and eventually, you know, we can see how fast technology has advanced just in our own lifetimes and right. uh, in certain areas. But then of course, there's um, all the advances we have gotten have been leaked out through DARPA and have basically been DARPA projects. They've just let um, go out. So like SHA-256 encryption, um, which Bitcoin's built on. That was one um, life log, which became Facebook. That was well, a DARPA the, the Internet in general was a, a military DARPA project. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So well, I've got to get going. I'm, I'm, I'm five minutes late. Oh, oh. all right. All right, I before mean, yeah. okay, well, before we get going, I really do want to have this again sometime. Oh, we are definitely going to do this, this is again. One of those topics that you can do a six-hour show on. All right, Neil. Before you get going, though, two super chats real quick uh, from Tio uh, donated ten dollars. Is the moon landing Christian? Does it help or hurt Christian ontology? I don't know if you'll have time to answer that. I don't know whatever whatever thought you have there. And then the second one from Tio. I really appreciate it, Tio. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, the name shall save it. So I don't know. Any parting thoughts, and uh, then you will be. Uh, you will I be free. Jesus, I think Jesus dies during a full moon, so you can you can be like, well, you know, there's a link between Jesus and the moon, and I don't know. Maybe you can just go with. If I was a Christian, I just would say, who cares? I went to the moon. So what? We see the moon. It's there. What, what's the big deal? Um, what was the second question again? It was not a question. It was more of just a statement. For who? For whosoever will save oh, his yeah. life will lose it. But whoever, but uh, whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the name shall save it. Well, yeah, that's, that's that's very Christian for them to say. <laughs> there we go. All hey, right. Sue, it was nice meeting you, and I, and Lev, it's great as always. We'll do this again. I'll keep in touch. We'll do this again soon. Absolutely, awesome. this is a lot of fun. All, All right, right. Uh, Neil, uh, you, you go. But before you go, Drew, I just want to say, listen, everybody, these are the kind of things that Break the Rules does. We bring people together who otherwise would have never had a chance to be together in the same space. And this is the second time, Drew, that you're here. The first time you were here was with my friend uh, Vladislav David Davidson, who is a fellow of the Atlantic Council and writes for Foreign Policy magazine. And so, like, these are the kind of uh, combinations that I don't think I personally have seen anywhere else done on the internet and so when you're talking about all of this being a human test in a way I think that what I'm trying to build here 
feels like something that I have to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like now is the right time to start bringing a lot of these people together, a lot of these minds, and having all the synapses start connecting. So I know, Drew, if you have any thoughts on where exactly all of this, let's say, would break the rules, may be uh, leading to, and any parting thoughts and uh, letting everybody know where to find you and uh, um, about American Apocalypse. Oh, and lastly, everybody here, if you guys are enjoying this, be sure to become a patron, patreon.com slash break the rules. You are going to get very beautiful magnets created by my father, Alexander Polyakov. Here are the magnets. Look at them. Look at these beauties. And you guys are going to get them if you become a $20 tier uh, member. And if you become a $50 tier member, you are going to get a custom magnet, whatever design you want to. There's also MP3s of the episodes after they come out. There's also Discord privileges and other good things. But anyway, I've talked a mouthful. Drew, you are on. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no, great conversation. And uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Um, uh, I think there'll be some really good clips uh, from this one. I feel like we really got some some really high level shit. I think we I think the progression was pretty good. It stayed on uh, stayed on track. So and got to complete a lot of ideas that usually are are very hard to, you know, kind of explain the whole spectrum of them. So. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been a great time. Um, obviously, uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Drew Tang Reborn, D-R-U-T-A-N-G-R-E-B-O-R-N. And, um, and yeah, my book, uh, American Apocalypse F's, I'm uh, actually going to drop the um, drop the pre-order link to that tonight. I'm going to be releasing a thread um, that is going to go into basically everything we just talked about in a little more um, in-depth detail. It's uh, basically the conclusion to my um, Eclipse X thread I made um, after Elon launched his uh, little Eclipse rocket. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching and a shout out to all the people on Twitter spaces. If you are still on Twitter spaces, be sure to go into the YouTube link above in the Jumbotron. Click that. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. The bell is an extremely important thing. Don't neg on that bell because we are going to be having a lot of great episodes coming up on Break the Rules. Once again, a big uh, thank you to Neil, Gnostic Informant, and of course, Drew. And we will uh, 